This is Undaunted Life, a man's podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Let's get into it. Welcome back to The Forging Table. The mission of Undaunted Life is equipping men to push back darkness with content that forges spiritual, mental, and physical resilience. At The Forging Table, you'll see a group of regular guys forging spiritual resilience by digging into God's word, and we're welcoming all of you to come along on that journey with us. That's Eric, and that's, wait, wait, you haven't been here before. Okay. We had a new guy amongst us. So welcome Dagan Boyd to the show. Dagan, how you doing? I'm doing well. It's good to be the new guy and it's probably terrible to be the new guy. It's terrible to be the new, <laughs> new guy because we do a lot of things to the new guy. And here's the other thing is there's not a fourth right now. So there might be a fourth here in a second. So, Hey, life happens. But we, what we do to kind of introduce the audience to people the first time they're on the show is we have them answer three questions. So the first is how'd you become a Christian? The second is, and you have like two minutes to answer all these questions total. So how'd you become a Christian? How do you like to study the Bible? How does your brain work? And we're going to add a fourth one for this, and it's going to be, what's your bench? Because, you know, in our, <laughs> in our lead up to this discussion, I, as a joke, said that everyone that enters my presence has to do 25 burpees before I will acknowledge them. And your reaction made me think that you possibly haven't worked out this century yet. So just answer those four questions if you lose a question, but just start out with how you became a Christian. Um, uh, that, that's an easy one. I, I grew up in a, in a Christian home, um, lots of Christian influence, mom, dad, um, had us in church, grew up in a, in a, in a church where, uh, scripture memory was really the focus. And so mm. I had a really good foundation of that, but then re- God really blessed me with really good male influences, um, in my life, uh, between Canicut camp and K life and, and, uh, church. And then, that, that really laid the foundation to me becoming a Christian. It's one of those where I got baptized when I was eight, um, but didn't really register until mm. I was probably a, a junior in high school, actually, on a ski trip uh, with K-Life, actually, that, uh, that it really, like the Holy Spirit really like grabbed me and was like, hey, I'm real, and this is a big deal, and you need to pay attention. So um, kind of went through the motions, got baptized when I was eight, um, but God really captured my heart when I high school. Gotcha. Okay. Before we get to the second question, going to give you your first new guy critique. Can you please talk into the microphone? I mean, come on. It's like, you don't do this for a living. Come on right there. Now don't, don't like chew on the microphone because that'll make (laughs) things even more awkward, but okay. So that gives us a good perspective. And the funny thing about your story, I feel like that's a ton of people's stories that, and I even talked to someone this morning. So that gets us to how you became a Christian. So let's go into how do you like to study the Bible? And then kind of, how does your brain work? So I'm, I'm like, topical. So I like, a, I like to study the Bible topically. I like to dig around and find, you know, whether it's love or forgiveness, but, but really draw in from different places throughout scripture mm-hmm. about that topic and see how that thread is woven, you know, Old Testament, New Testament, and consistent. Like that partially is how my brain works. Um, I do, I will say like if, if I'm in church, I love it when people can be more inductive and lay it out and I, I can listen to it and it makes sense. But mm-hmm. if I'm going to sit down and make sense of the scripture, it's going to be topically. Okay. Um, and then is this the burpees one? What's the next no, question? We're, we're, well, I mean, we can skip right to burpees if you want <laughs> no, to. No, it's like, no. so how does your brain work? Oh, my brain. Yeah. Well, so I, I mean, I think I naturally, uh, I, I'm inclined to analogy in like applying things to my everyday life, right? Mm-hmm. Like how does that 
apply to me and my brain makes sense of it that way. So are you more of a, because I have my perception of what you are, but are you more of a slow processor? Are you a more of a, hey, let's, no, I, I, I kind of have an idea where we need to go. Let's get out the door. Yeah, probably the latter. I mean, okay. I'm, I'm pretty quick. Um, not to say that I'm not slow. I mean, right. I mean, you know, I'm, I, I'm, 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 my wife would probably say, no, he's, he's slow. Um, but I, I typically can ingest and very quickly, like, wrap it around in my mind, whether it's a, a, a previous experience, another memory, or, or another story to kind of help me, um, you know, create an analogy in my mind that makes it make sense. Yeah, I'm kind of a similar way. And that's why like we have a good mixture of different guys that we bring in and out because there's no one that's really in between. We either have like our slow cookers, right? That that really need to labor over what, you know, what they're kind of feeling and understanding. And then you got, you know, more kind of snap judgment, let's get after it type people. But then before we actually get into the scripture here, so how many burpees do you think you could do in a row before your heart just like completely gave out? And I don't know, you're you're standing next to a guy that, you know, could potentially help with that. You know, he does like physical therapy, stuff like that, but uh, roughly how many in a row? Uh, he, he's working out. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I, I well, work see, out. It doesn't show. I hide it well. <laughs> I think that's. I think that's actually a gift. You like you, you I, hide it behind that wiry exterior. I do. Like, I I'm, hey, I'm. I'm. I consider myself intelligent. I hide that well too. Right. <laughs> so I think that's a gift that God gave me. Is just the ability. Uh, no, I, I. I do work out. It's you know it's old man workouts where it's really just kind of keeping me flexible and keeping my back from hurting. But, um, you know, burpee stations, uh, I could probably knock out, I, I mean, I mean, 10, 15, like in a, in a station and get onto the next is probably where I'd, where I'd like to quit. Burpees are there. There's such a microcosm of life in the, in that they're the worst thing possible. Worst. And it's just getting down and getting back up. Like there's, it's not complicated. Nope. Like it just, it sucks. And like, whenever you're like, Oh, I'm just going to knock out, you know, hundred burpees real quick. It's like, you can do that real quick, but you're going to leave a part of your soul on the floor that, right. you know, you were belly flopping onto. But I think we've, we've set this up enough, but guys, uh, as we talked about a little bit, we're going to be getting into the Psalms now. So one thing that we're going to be doing is obviously we went through Galatians and then first Timothy, and then every now and then we're going to be doing palate cleanse. So we'll do some Psalms, maybe some Proverbs, maybe like a Philemon or something like that. Something before we get into whatever the next thing is. And so we kind of did a round table with some of the guys here with Undaunted Life. And it's like, hey, what are your, what are your favorite Psalms? Like, what are the Psalms that really speak to you? And so this first one is actually pretty special because there's a member of our crew. And I, I, don't, I don't even know if I can use his name on here because he's currently deployed. <clears throat> he is in a part of the world that is not our part of the world. There, am I going to mm -hmm. be getting in trouble mm -hmm. with the Pentagon? But anyway... This guy, uh, he, he's been a part of this group. He's not been on the forging table before, but um, he loves Psalm 27. So that's where we're going to be starting right now. And just, I know you're listening uh, listening to this, buddy. We're, we're so happy uh, to have you as a part of this crew. We wish you could be here right now, but we just appreciate the work that you're doing overseas. But he did send me a note as to why Psalm 27 is so important to him. And then we'll, we'll kind of dig in from there. So this is from our buddy. So he says, this is my favorite Psalm. And verse one is among my favorite in the whole Bible. I chose Psalm 27 because it's simple, practical, and it is a picture of how I want to live my life. The whole chapter points to how great our Lord is and how much we need him and should be seeking after him and his kingdom. The Lord is everything. I am nothing without him. Be humble, seek him and his kingdom patiently and faithfully trust and wait on the Lord key takeaways for me. And so, uh, again, buddy, we appreciate you. You know who you are. We're so glad, uh, that, that you're listening to this and, uh, that you're serving and doing what you're doing. But guys, whenever I dig into Psalm 27, it's really hard 
to get past the the first verse because it's such a definitional verse for kind of how we think and how we act. And again, this is a Psalm of David. I believe all the Psalms that we're going to be covering over the next couple of months are from David, but you know, it's uh, the Lord is, is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life of whom shall I be afraid? And so there's a lot here really to start. Um, that one thing that I, I did want to point out is there's a few things that I've, that I've dug into that kind of break down the Psalms in different ways, almost like here are the chunks. And so one that I looked at is verses one through six. It com- converses with self about privileges. So this is, you know, David conversing with himself about privileges. Then verses seven through 12 is converses with the Lord about problems he's having. And then the last two verses, 13 and 14, are converses with self about perseverance. So we go from privileges to problems to perseverance. But guys, let's just kick it off right there from the beginning. I mean, the Lord uh, is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Because I would say for most of us, we fear a lot of people. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah, I know. I was, I was looking at the, his, the historical context of this, and I think there's kind of still some questions about it, but it looks like that at the time Saul or uh, Saul had lost power. Basically, Samuel had said, David's going to be the next king. Uh, this is going to be how it is. And the, the question was whether uh, David had been named king, like actually christened as king, or if he was still running from Saul. And this, I think the majority seemed to fall on this kind of idea that Saul was in the process of pursuing David. So clearly he's on the run uh, the whole time. And, and if, if he had been king, then it, the other... The other side could be that it could have been when Absalom, his son, was trying to usurp the, the kingdom and uh, David was on the run again. So so he's really, I mean, David's really going through it here. And I think th- those are the Psalms that I'm more personally drawn to is the one where it's like, okay, this guy's like not riding after he's come through the storm. Like he's riding right in the middle of the storm. But I guess with that first part is like, in whom shall I fear? Like, whom shall I be afraid? I feel like we're afraid of a lot of people. Mm. There are lots there's lots of talk about enemies in this particular Psalm, right. but there's kind of this new thing in, you know, I'd be curious to hear from both of you on this. There's this new thing in Christianity. Maybe it's not new, uh, but we're trying to be defined by how nice we are, mm. not how truthful we are, not how close to the gospel we are, but we're trying to be defined by how nice we are. And then we assume inherently that if we're nice, no one's going to be coming for us. Mm. It's a very sheep like mindset mm. to where it's just like, I'm just going to be this nice sheep and the wolf will just never be around. That's kind of when we talk about, you know, sheep, wolves, and sheep dogs. It's like, it's always the sheep that are looking around wondering why aren't there more sheep dogs? Mm-hmm. It's like, well, you, you're, you're part of the reason why there aren't so many sheep dogs because you're scared of them because you just, you assume that bad things will never befall you. And then when they do, you're the first one crying out for the sheep dog and he may not be nearby, but the wolf is. So I, I guess that was the first thing that's, that stood out to me as I was digging into this. I mean, for you, for you guys, do you feel that at all? Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll, my personal history on that too is in the past, I've, I've tried to play it safe. I mean, I'm in a, in, a, in a job where I'm dealing with people all day long. And so it's real easy for me to just kind of play both sides. And I've had people say, well, that was a, they'll ask me a question and I'll give them kind of a general answer. And they'll say, well, that was a very political answer, just kind of a non-answer, yeah. basically. And some of that is just because we try to keep some of that at, on wraps at, at, in my job. But more and more, just as I've seen time go on, I see that the lack of being able to step out and speak truth and be take a side uh, is, is actually, actually detrimental to our society. And yeah. so I, I think it's absolutely necessary. Uh, we, we can't just... You know, ride the fence. Right. No, I think the world is, is saying that if you, like, you can't pick a, well, 
you you can't be on the fence. You got to pick a side. And then uh, if you know, in in a losing my train of thought already. You're gonna edit this part out. Well, no, like Should I, I, I tell think, a joke here. No, <laughs> well, no. It's like we, when you're talking about picking a side, like I guess it used to be the thing that the moderate approach used to be the approach that everybody was shooting for because they didn't want to be seen as an extremist. But the problem is, is in our modern day, there are not moderate options available. So think about the, the transgenderism of kids thing. Like, okay, what is the moderate position on that? Because it seems like there are only two positions. Yes, kids can change their gender. So let's give them hormones and chop them up and, and see if you know, we can make them feel better. And then the other side, which is like, no, that's morally reprehensible. And we're not going to allow you to do that. There is no kind of middle ground. So it's like, I guess that's kind of what you're saying. Like there, there yeah. are two sides to that. Well, and, and you know, you, you bring up kids and I look at my kids and think, I mean, my kids are, they're nice. Like little kids, they're nice. But, and I just see like, they get attacked all the time. They right. get attacked with worry at night. Like just because they're a, they're a nice kid and they aren't political and they're not going to school and, and drawing lines in the sand with their class, right? Like maybe they're having a disagreement over which crayon color is the best, right? But yeah. like, but like they're, they're genuinely like pretty nice. Um, but man, the, the, the things that they struggle with in spite of the, the lack of all of that conflict that they or their, their peers create, it still exists, right? And they're still, you know, talk about like in Psalms where he gets, you know, pulled out of the mire. It's like, how, do my, how are my kids in this mire? How is a, how is a fourth grade girl in the mire? And it's because whether you're nice or not, like, it's like you said, like, man, the, the wolf's coming for you and, and he's dragging you into it. Well, Dagan, why? So again, I don't want to get too ethereal right from the beginning. We're we're literally one verse in. Why are we fearful though? And so when I, when I say we, I guess I use that collectively, but you all are, you know, raising, you know, a Christian, you're the head of a Christian household, you're raising your kids, you know, uh, in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, you're showing them all those different things. And so you would think just academically speaking, these kids, if they know the truth, if they know the end of the story, that they wouldn't feel the fear. Like, cause I mean, Eric, you set it up. This is actual fear. Like he's feeling mortal Mm -hmm. fear. He's being chased down. And he's also thinking that what he's doing is God's will for him, but he's still terrified. So I guess like, where does that come from? Because I don't just like, you know, shorthand, oh, Satan, you know, oh, sin nature. Like there's something else there. Sure. Yeah, I think, I think, you know, in David's perspective, like he knows and knows he can rely on, on the Lord, right? Like mm. the Lord is my light and my salvation. Like he knows it. He's been through it time and time again. I mean, you keep reading through the Psalms and he is, he is praising God for pulling him out. Right. And he knows that if I turn to you, that you will, you know, you, you are going to light up my face where it is harder for a young child who hasn't been through all of those circumstances, who hasn't been yeah. out on the battlefield to be able to look back over their shoulder and say, you know, a fourth grader is not going to say, well, back when I was in second grade, mm-hmm. God really, really pulled me out of the mire and I can trust him. So it becomes a, you know, fear comes from, you know, it's, it's, it comes from us trying to trust ourselves. And if, if you are the only one you can trust, then heck yeah, you better be scared. Right. Yeah. And I was going to say like the word identity, it's just identity. I mean, my kids know that they are part of the Browning family, but more so than that, they're, they're part of God's family as believers. And so having a firm sense of identity, I think is where David can be so confident. He knows where he comes from. He knows his purpose. He knows he's been anointed king. 
um, and he, he knows where he's going. And so I feel like he's hanging on a promise of what God has given him. And that's where he has partial, partial confidence. And then as Dagan said, he has an experience mm. too to fall back onto that just deepens his faith. So he, he, he doesn't have to fear mankind when he has a fear for the Lord. Well, and there seems to be a couple of different fears going on because when we go to verse two, when evildoers assail me, and again, guys, I'm reading from the ESV, when evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. So, so there's a lot of things here. So to eat up my flesh, so that's liking, likening it to a beast of some kind. So this in this area of Palestine, like there are lions, there are bears, there are, there are different animals that are in this area. Everyone kind of knew what it was like to be torn apart by a beast because humans died at, at the you know hands of beasts or whatever. And then, but to eat up my flesh, I think there are other translations or other like, you know, etymologies or whatever go back to say, or to slander me. Okay. So I was thinking the entire time, oh, bodily destruction, right? This is mm-hmm. David being hunted down and he's going to be ran through with a sword, but it's or to slander me. And he's putting it seemingly, and I'm, I'm not imputing something to David that I don't know for sure. Obviously I'm not talking to him, but it's like, it seems like he's putting those two things on the same level. Because he's mentioning this uh, this slander here. Again, we get the end of the story. It is they who will stumble and fall, so that's good to keep in mind. But that's an interesting point, that this is a man that grew up in a very, very violent age where human life was very, it was basically worth nothing, human life was. This was at a similar time in history where the, the head of the household in different cultures was in charge of the entire lives of everyone in their homes. And if they decided that you died, you died. There was no court case. There was no you know arguments that were presented. You were just killed, right? And so to have all this worry, all this mortal worry and physical injury worry, but he's putting it in the words of what if, what if they slander me? Yeah. And I mean, again, it's kind of easy for me because I have a podcast and, you know, I've got this, you know, public persona and it's like, it's okay. It's kind of easy to throw stones at me, but then, then you have people that will want to throw stones at people that are related to me, even tangentially. And like, to me, it's easy for me to kind of ignore those comments, but I would be lying if I didn't, didn't say they affected me. Cause every now and then I will look at a one star review and that will bother me way more than I will be excited at the last hundred five-star reviews. So I guess, where does that come from? Because like words don't hurt. We were taught that when we were a little oh, kid, they're, yeah. they're, they're, they're supposed to not hurt, right? Right. They absolutely hurt. Right. And, and, and that, and I remember that very thing growing up, but sticks and stones, but words don't, won't, you know, yeah. uh, and, and I was like, well, okay, but, but, but they kind of do sometimes, you know, and it's, it's amazing. Uh, I, I just feel like if, if a person can't physically harm you, that that's kind of the next best. And with our social media outlets and whatnot, they can do it anonymously. And, and there are no repercussions. They can just to say whatever they want to say and then just move on, right? But it doesn't mean that the receiver is not going to feel something uh, as a result. Well, and I think as an adult, you, you realize, you know, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Well, Words hurt. They're sharp. Like they hurt for I, a long time. And I know some people that can craft some really pointy words, right? <laughs> and it's like, and it's like that, that. That's not the case. There are times where it's like, you know what? I would rather be physically attacked than verbally attacked because I know that I'll just like get over it. But man, the verbal stuff. There is a whole other layer of fear of, well, I'm going to be verbally attacked or I'm going to be slandered, and then and then that is especially today. That gets out and that's everywhere, right? Like, it's not only you reading the comments, it's everyone else reading comments, right? right. It's like, it, that, that adds that extra layer of, man, the sharpness of the word, that it can ripple, right? My, my, the black eye you gave me will heal eventually. Um, 
but man, like how far are those ripples going to go with the word? Right. And the, the viral aspect of that too, it just, it blows up. And then it's like, you don't even have time to, to say your piece or you say your side, you know, before everybody feels or thinks a certain th- thing about you as a result of that. Well, I wonder how you guys, because I mean, you guys have teenagers. Okay. And so I've got, you know, you know, two year old and a baby below one year old. And so the social media thing we haven't had to reckon with yet. Right. You know, when do they get it? Do they get it? Like what device is it on? Is it on a smart device or a dumb device? But I know that there are literally tons of people listening to this right now that are really, really worried about these things because they've seen what words have done to their daughters. Because again, when when you look at boys and when you look at girls and you can go back, there's, there's literally mountains of research that talk about how those two different sexes. Yes, there are only two. I know I'm a bigot, but how those two different sexes fight men typically fight right? You have a problem with another man, you fight, and then you bury the hatchet. And in a lot of cases, that guy becomes your best friend right afterwards. Sure. But then with girls, it's like they will try to destroy you from the inside. And so there's a, there's a joke I heard from a comedian back in the day. It's like, boys are, are I'll clean it up, but it's like, boys are, uh, will mess stuff up. Girls are messed up. And so it's like a, a guy, <laughs> like a boy will like destroy the house you're living in. Like a girl will open up your soul and like, defecate into it like that's it's just a difference i know i that, imagine that the the non-clean version but like that's the clean version of that but it's like it's different types of warfare but it's almost as if i've heard this argument before and maybe going a little bit you know a little bit too far but i'm curious how y'all think about it social media is the ultimate form of feminine aggression because twitter instagram comments section you know facebook whatever you're saying things to people you're making threats that you would never levy at somebody if you could smell them, if you were literally across the table from them, if you were eyeball, eyeball to eyeball with them. But you can, you can decide who someone is in an instant and then tweet about it. Mm-hmm. And then that will live forever. But also that could affect that person directly depending upon how seriously they take your comments. And so in light of what David's talking about here, this is really an identity plea about who he finds his identity in and whose words he's going to listen to. Whose is he? Is he the people's? Uh, definitions by their words, or is he God's definitions by his words? How do we reckon that? Like this, this is kind of like almost like a parenting seminar right now, but like, how do you reckon with those types of things whenever these words, these slanderous words can have such an unbelievably big and profound effect on them? Well, and and that, this may not answer your question, but I was thinking like, one of the, what, what do I care about personally? Like if someone's going to attack, attack me, if they attack my character or my trustworthiness, like that's a, probably a bigger blow, like you were saying earlier, than being physically attacked. And I wonder if just, you know, David's sitting here, he's like, well, I, I am literally leading this nation. I don't want people slandering me because I don't want my trustworthiness and my ability to lead to be hampered as right. a result of that. So as far as for my kids, is that, is that what you're asking or just yeah, in take general? Take it anywhere you want. Yeah. Gosh, you know, I mean, my oldest, we've had multiple conversations about, you know, anything you put out on social media in essence is there forever. It's, it's not going anywhere. Well, let me, let me actually reframe it just a little bit. Sure, sure, sure. So I I guess what I was thinking about is, so when you break up with your first girlfriend, your parents know you're not going to die, but you're 13. You think you're going to die. There will never be another girl that will come along and will like you as much as this girl, Mm -hmm. right? They can see they've, they've done more life. They have more wisdom than you do. As a Christian parent, when you see someone that has had their reputation, your, your, your blood has had their reputation destroyed for something that maybe happened, something that maybe didn't happen. They were slandered in some way, potentially on social media. And then you have the pile on and the likes and the retweets and the quote tweets and all that. Right. Like, how do you help them still, I guess, 
formalize their identity and anchor it to something that's real. Because again, their, their brain's like 15 years away from being fully developed. And you're trying to explain to them, no, 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 your identity is found in Christ. But it's like, but they're being mean to me. Like, how right. do you deal with that? Well, part, part of it is my experience. I, I remember that. I remember in class having a crush on this girl across the, the, the room and she didn't like me. And, and yet it seemed like every other girl in the class liked me. Not, you know, oh, I know I'm pretty, wow. I'm pretty good looking, but, no, <laughs> but, but then I it, didn't it, know it, I was in the presence of royalty. I mean, you are the on. entire calendar. You're not just Mr. July. I love it. <laughs> but isn't that <laughs> also true that like the one girl that doesn't like you oh, is the target. Every t- right. well, see, I was a fat ginger as a kid, so there was never a girl that liked me. So we had opposite <laughs> problems, but please go on. With yeah. Your but I mean, then, and, and, and invariably what you'd be like, well, I guess we're just going to just gonna have to move on. And as soon as you move on, then all of a sudden that girl likes you and everybody else hates you. And it's yeah. just, and I, and I know that with, uh, with my, with my oldest, he's now in middle school and I can tell like, he'll come home and he just seems depressed and he won't want to talk about it. Then we'll talk about it. And he'd be like, man, no, I, I want to change schools and we'll talk a little bit more. And it's like, <laughs> you just no, I, I don't have any friends, you know, nobody likes me or whatever. I'm like, I've been there. I know exactly. Give it like two weeks, give it two weeks. Sure enough, two weeks later, everything's okay. And then another month goes by and maybe we go through another one of these cycles. It's up and it's up and down. And, but, but the reality is, is just if going back to David, I mean, <clears throat> your identity should not be tied to what people think about you because you can never please everybody all the time. There's just no way you cannot please everybody all the time. And you cannot live, live up to their standards all the time because they will, if you try to meet them, then they'll change them. And just look at clothing. It's like everybody wants to wear the, whatever, the Nike shoes, the Air Ones. Well, guess what? In about six months, it's going to be Pumas or something. So as soon as you, it might take you five minutes, five months to get those Nikes, but man, you've got them. And then all of a sudden styles change. Look, let's be real about something. It'll never be Pumas. But Dagan, what were you going to say? Well, (laughs) you know, middle school is another planet. Yeah. Can we just say that? Like middle school, like I, I I was uh, awkward. It doesn't even like even come close to describing (laughs) it, you know, like and, and I thought I was a pretty cool middle schooler yeah. and, you know, and then I had kids and I've talked to my parents and been like, you know, I'm one of five and my parents the hands down the most awkward, difficult time for all of us was middle school. It's this transitionary period, you know, you're, you're looking like an adult, but you don't have the brain of an adult. And so yeah. part of that's hard on a parent because, you know, I've got a freshman in high school and he looks the part of being able to have a conversation and, uh, but, but he doesn't have the brain. Now he's, he's a smart kid, but like he doesn't have the emotional yeah. maturity. He doesn't have the spiritual maturity. Um, he's still a so, so physical a comes yeah. first, yeah. right? So then you think that they've got it, but you know, you, you ask how we battle that man, like uh, it, it's hard. It's really hard. I, the, the way we battle it in our house and, and we're a believer and especially in this kind of stuff, when they lack the spiritual maturity, it's, I think you run to scripture and you're, you're thumbing through the pages and you want to find the magic verse, right? Mm-hmm. And so, but what we really realized is it is when, when it comes to raising your kids and, and giving them the, the help through scripture, it's quantity over quality. Like it's just constant, you know, reinforcing scripture, 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 rather than sifting through and trying to find that one quality scripture that you think is just going to make everything make sense to them. And they'll go, oh yeah, that makes sense. God's, uh, he's a stronghold of my life. Just like he was for David. Super easy. 
So I wonder for you guys as well, because I know a lot of people that listen to my show, listen to Joe Rogan's show as well. And one thing that Joe Rogan has said on his podcast before that his favorite people in the world are people that had absolutely jacked up upbringings, like abuse, violence, just really depraved upbringings. But they came through that. Now they're professional comedians, professional fighters. You know, they're, they're these really, really impressive people that came out on the other side. Now, ignoring the fact that, you know, a lot of people that have that start get, you know, chewed up and spit out and then we never hear about them, right? We don't buy, you know, tickets and, and try to go see them be funny on stage. But as we're seeing here, you know, especially with the first six verses, you know, we're, this is David talking about his privileges, but then, you know, verses seven through 12, when he's talking about his problems, Joe Rogan has said before, and a lot of other people have said this, is he wants, he has these two competing thoughts in his soul that he wants his kids to, to endure hardships because he's seen the benefits it's given him growing up in hard situations. But then at the same time, he works so hard so that his kids wouldn't have a hard life. You know what I mean? And we, we live in a very affluent community and there's, there's a lot of money here. There's a lot of private school, this, and there's a lot of, Hey, if your kid has the most niche hobby possible, there are 10 coaches in this city that will, you know, charge you $500 an hour <laughs> to teach them how to be better at, you know, Rubik's cube or whatever. The, the, the thing about it, I, I struggle with that as well. And I know a lot of guys listening to this, is we are so thankful for David for laying his laments out, but we don't get Psalm 27 if he's not on the run, if he's not being chased down. Like we don't, we don't really know who David is uh, without, you know, God's uh, providence as, as well. But we just don't, we, we don't like reading stories about people that didn't overcome, you know, the, those people that didn't survive. We, we like the stories like Endurance or, you know, Skeletons on the Zahara mm-hmm. or those books like that where, no, they endured unbelievable uh, situations, but then they overcame. So I, I guess for you guys, again, as parents, this is kind of turning into a parenting thing. Like, how do you feel about wanting to make sure that your kids experience this lament, experience this pain, because you know, it'll make them better. But at the same time, as a parent, you want to protect them. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, and I think that trials will come. It's not if they will come, it's just when they will come. We were just having this conversation with some friends right before I came over here. And I, I was saying, you know, my oldest is 13. And I just think it's super important that, because I remember when I was about his age, 13, 14, 15, I, I, my mother is hands down the best person on the face of the earth I've ever met. But when I was 13, 14, 15, I had a growing distaste for her because I felt like she was holding me back a little bit from growing, growing up. I was, I was her only child. And I know she wanted to hold on even to this day. And it's a joke. She'll still say, you're still my baby. And I'm, I'm like, mom, I know, I know I'm still <laughs> your baby. But, uh, but there is an important aspect, at least for the, the mothers out there. And, and you can say it, the fathers too, you've got to let your kids fail. They, you have to mm-hmm. give them the opportunity to fail or succeed. If you do not, you're holding back. And the reality is, is they're going to hit trials. That is just, that is life. And there is resilience that can be built through that. And, and to go a little step further, I mean, there are times where it's just the quantity and the quality aspect of what you're saying earlier. Sometimes you just need to be with your kids, kind of like Job and his friends. And I know his friends weren't very nice to him and said things say they shouldn't have been, uh, been saying when he was going through his trial. But there's times it's just being with your son or your daughter and, and praying with them, just listening to them, just not trying to have the answer per se. Yes, you can read scripture, but sometimes they just need you to be there, you know. I, those are great thoughts. And when you, when, uh, when you started talking about your mom, it it made me think that we were kind of thinking along the same lines in that, you know, it's hard enough to, you, you talk about how, how to prevent the lament, right? Right. It's like, well, 
I, I'm broken. I'm I'm a broken 45 year old dude. I I'm trying every day not to be the lament, right? Like I'm trying not to be a stumbling block for my kids. I'm trying to be patient. I'm trying to be encouraging. I'm trying to, you know, with my girls, you talk about, you know, the difference between raising a son and raising daughters is, you know, when they have problems, they don't want to hear me fix them. Yeah. They just want me to sit down with them and hold on to them. And, and that is, that is taken a lot for me to not be the lament. And then uh, another thought I had was I, I had breakfast here in town with a, a mentor of mine whose kids are unbelievable, right? They're, it's like where you're around their kids and you think they've got it all figured out. I need to spend more time with these people. Yeah. And so just asking, we're just catching up and he, his kids are grown and married now. And he's asking about each of mine. And I said, you know, I've got this freshman and he's a great kid, but I feel like I've got two or three and a half years to get all I need done in him to prepare him to go off to college. And, you know, what, what he had told me, I'll give you the short version, but really what he told me was he's not going to be ready to go off to college. Mm. He's, uh, you weren't, I wasn't like, that's not how college works. That's not how high school works. Right. Like, um, you, 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 you do your best. You love him. He was encouraging me that I, that Michelle and I were great parents. He said, you know, boys going to, they're going to hit their stride when they're like a sophomore or junior and they're going to realize, oh, I got to go get a I have to have a life after this. And then things are going to really start to kind of make sense for them. But he said, you know, what he needs between now and till he's about 22 is grace. And that just hit me like a ton of bricks because man, it takes the pressure off of me having to judge like like how much, how, how deep do I get involved to fix this thing he's going through? But when you read this in scripture, it's like, man, I am not his fix it person. I, I'm kind of the conduit to, that the Lord uses while he is developing spiritual maturity. Sure. And so I need to make sure that I'm equipping myself with godly advice and we're going to scripture and we're talking about that. But I just, I need to extend him grace because he is going to fail for the next five or six years. Yeah, and I, w- I would just add that uh, pray, pray, pray. You know, we, there's not one ounce of us, there's not something specific we can say that is going to change our kids. Uh, we, our kids are changed by the Holy Spirit. They're changed by someone supernatural, not by their parents. So being able to just understand like, that we need to be in prayer for our kids that God will take hold of them, change them, change their desires. Because if, if we don't, then it, if it's all parenting based on reward system, you know, do this, you get this, don't do this, whatever. And, and there's nothing wrong with that. Don't hear me wrong. But if that's the only reason and they are fearful of getting in trouble and that's it, they will potentially be compliant in your home. But if they have had no heart change when they leave your home, they, they are likely just going to revert back. Well, and guys, there's, there's an interesting through point with some of the stuff that you're saying. And so Dagan, you're like, you know, try not to be the lament. And so I've, I feel like that could be its own discussion, like being the lament, but look at verse 10. So we're skipping down to verse 10 here for my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. So this should bring us as parents a little bit of relief because if we are the worst of the worst jack wagons on the planet and we mess up everything and we are statistically those dads for my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. And so 
when you talk to these people that were orphaned, right? And that's just a different perspective. When kids that were passed around to a bunch of different homes, didn't know their, their dads, maybe they knew their mom for a little bit, they ended up not knowing them, you know, uh, mom's in jail or something like that. Those situations, those people, to a degree, they lost their innocence way before most of us and way before any of us would have wished they would have lost their innocence. But they have a perspective on verses like this that we will just read through and pass right by. Because again, verses 7 through 12, those are, you know, David, you know, conversing with the Lord about his problems. And I mean, what could be worse for a child than to be forsaken by their father and mother? It's one thing to have your father and mother die in a car accident while you're at daycare and, you know, then you you grow up without them, but to be forsaken by them, to literally be, I mean, just think about Jesus on the cross, like the, the, the negative, again, he, he felt the weight of sin, but it's like, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Right? Like you've turned away from me entirely. And even in that scenario, which is worthy of lament, right? They've become lament. Your, your mother and father have become that lament. God is still there for you. Mm-hmm. He's still providing for you. But I want to back up to verse seven because, and I want to camp out on verse nine, but I want to kind of set it up again. Verse seven kind of starts a section about uh, David conversing with the Lord about his problems. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud, be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. And then the beginning of verse nine, hide not your face from me. Again, I have this thing because again, and Dagan, I'm a lot like you. I'm a fast processor. I want to get it through as quickly as possible. Let me just hit the high points and then I can, you know, you know, fudge the rest of it. But David is pleading with God to make his face appear. And it's one thing to seek the Lord. And I feel like in our modern way of doing things and when we're sitting in our, you know, big houses and driving around our, our cars that work and we have, you know, we walk from one 70 degree environment to another 70 degree environment. And we kind of, you know, we, we live kind of this easy life. We think when we seek God that, oh, everything else in my life is super easy. And if it's not that easy, I hire it out. But in this moment, he's pleading with God, please don't hide your face from me. Like that, that, that really hung me up, actually. Verse nine, hide not your face from me. Because shouldn't that be just, oh yeah, I mean, he's not going to hide his face, but he's begging. He's like begging God. So I don't know if that stood out to you guys, verse nine, but for me, I was just like, oh boy, I feel like we can camp out there for a little bit. No, I, I, I do that. The, the previous verse eight, seek my face, you know, and where, where David is saying, you have said, seek my face. And so he's like, you know, I'm supposed to seek your face. But what, what I get to out of nine or what I get out of nine is, is he is, he's humbling himself to the point where he, he is not worthy of God's attention, right? It's like, hey, like I'm, I am proof that this world is full of sin. Like me, David, I'm proof. Like, don't hide your face from me. Like, I don't deserve your attention. I don't deserve to reflect your goodness, like, because of, because I'm jacked up. So I think it's one of those where it's like, Hey, you've said to, to seek your face, but when you look at me, don't turn away because after what you see. Right. Right. And, and, and same, same thought. It's like, you know, he's, David is clearly aware of his sin and we know that when we harbor sin in our, in our life, that even our, even our prayers are, are detestable. To, to God. So I think that he is continually trying to remind himself and clear himself so that God, so he can seek his face. I was also reminded by, by uh, Moses when he went up and received the 10 commandments and he came down and his face was glowing. Mm-hmm. Just that radiance uh, from, from being in the presence of God. Uh, and I, there's this just desire. And I think there's probably in some of the other Psalms, we'll find this as well. Just this, this idea of, are, are we around people that are radiant? people that radiate God 
that 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 have been with him, that have seen his face, that have seen his glory. I think that seeing his face is, would you think, uh, kind of an, an allegory, or at least of of God's glory, of His righteousness? Is that is that kind of what you get there? Well, I think so. And then you you, know, you bring up something interesting when you're around people that are seeking the Lord, it makes you want to seek them. Again, we spend a lot of time talking about kind of our middle school, middle school selves and our middle school kids. It's like, well, if a lot of kids start doing a certain thing, it's amazing how quickly that makes you want to do that thing, whether it's an activity, a sport, you know, buying a particular pair of shoes or, or just doing something, which, you know, leads to those conversations like, all my other friends have TikTok. Why can't I have TikTok? And it leads to a lot of those discussions that you have to have that aren't nearly as fun for you or the, or the kids uh, to be frank. But surrounding yourself with people that help you seek. I think that's, that's a rough thing for a lot of, especially guys out there that maybe you're kind of the lone wolf guy. Maybe you're a little bit more introverted. And then you find yourself in these valleys in your Christian walk. And some of these valleys can last a long time. Like, you know, not, not days. Like we're talking, you know, potentially years, decades, those types of things. And when you're in those valleys, if you're surrounded by people that are seeking him, it's going to speed you through the valley. But we don't, I guess we don't put a value on that on like, we want to be around people that think like us, right? They vote like us. They, they wear the same color hat on Saturday afternoons during college and all those things. But at the same time, they're, they're kind of worried. Hey, Matt, get on in here, buddy. Get on in here. But, you know, that, that's kind of what we're talking about. Let me make sure I turn your mic on. Everybody, welcome Matt to the podcast. Hello, he is back. Hello, Matt. Hello, Matt. All right. So, uh, so Matt, again, we're, we're here in, in Psalm 27. But what I was just kind of talking about, because Browning brought up this really good point, that we're, we're around people, and whenever people seek us, or sorry, whenever they're seeking God, like that, that's kind of a good thing that kind of helps us. But I guess for men, why is that so difficult for men to surround themselves with other men that are also seeking the Lord? Because everything else seems easy. These guys, you know, like the things I like, they do the things that I do, but it seems like we stop short of, and they're also seeking God. Like I know I should be. Does that make sense? Yep. Absolutely. When we just get stuck on the superficial, I, I think it's easy uh, I think it keeps us from being vulnerable. No guy wants to admit that he's not everything, you know, that they doesn't have it figured out. One of the things that we as men want to to know about ourselves is that we have what it takes to get her done. So I, th- I think it's hard sometimes. We, we don't want those interactions that take us to a level where we have to admit that we're, we fall short. Right. Yeah, that's, I mean, you nailed it. Good answer. It's A plus from me. Woo. You, you know, A plus from the new guy. Love yeah, it. I'll take that. I, I'm sensitive to this topic because, you know, um, I had really good role models growing up, um, and and it took a long time to be able to trust. Right, like the trust has to be there for you to feel vulnerable enough to like know that hey, I'm I'm about to share my feelings and I'm not going to be like ridiculed or you three aren't going to go away and talk about me or something. Mm -hmm. So, you know, when I'm talking to my son, you know, I, I, I let him know that, you know, first of all, I don't have everything figured out and I am proof that we need a savior. Like that's what you have as a dad. Right. Right. So don't, don't build me up beyond the reality of I'm, I'm just a broken dude in this world that has the pleasure of being your dad. Well, it's a good thing that you, you realize that at some point, because it actually reminded me of something, Matt, that, that you talked about on a previous episode of The Forging Table, is you grew up thinking, man, I'm, I'm a really good kid. Like, I don't get in trouble, and I don't, you know, I, I get good grades, and I don't really, like, run around with, with riffraff. But kind of to go back to the point that you brought up, Browning, is like, surrounding yourself with people that aren't getting in trouble is one thing. Surrounding yourself with people that are also good athletes and, you know, you know doing a good diet and not, you know, making the mistakes that would get them kicked off the team. 
that's a wholly different thing than being an adult male that is surrounded by men that is that are really getting after it and trying to like seek the Lord through his word, through prayer and those types of things. No, I, I think that's a, a great point. And I, I, I think we could be so, well, we, not we can, we are so turned inward that there is this tendency to, to say, oh man, I didn't mess up here or I did this thing. So I must, I must have it right. And I think to Dagan's point about being a dad, I think the worst thing that we can do to our kids is have them believe that we've got it all figured out. They say, don't meet your heroes because they're going to let you down. Well, if you think your dad doesn't ever mess up or your mom never messes up because they never, not that they're intentionally trying to, to say, I don't ever mess up, but I think what you're trying to say, or one of the things you're trying to say is we've got to be vulnerable enough with our kids to say, I am wholly unworthy of salvation, but God is merciful and full of grace that even a sinner like myself could have salvation and don't look at me as the measuring stick. Look to me trying to pursue the measuring stick, which is Jesus. Watch me chase after him. And that's what, that's what we're called to do. That's what you're called to do. But don't look at me as this perfect person because I'm not. Well, so I want, is that it? Is, is it humility then? That for a lot of, again, we're talking to a mainly male audience right now, or we're talking to ladies that, that wish their men had this community of people around them. Is it, is it that humility to be able to say, like, even going back to what you said, Dagan, it's like knowing that you've got guys around you, that if you admit your worst thing, your worst sin, whatever that thing is for you, that they're not going to be like, oh my gosh, that guy's crushing in business, but I guess he doesn't have it all going on. Like, I feel like there's a lot of that, that kind of an issue with, with men is like, are we, are we scared to be judged that way? Is it a pride thing? Like, I'm kind of trying to come coalesce that because I think it's coming right from David's words here. Right. And it kind of goes both ways. It's really interesting. You've got guys that will then get into these groups and they'll start sharing, but they don't, they, they just get patted on the back too. It's just like, oh man, we all sin. It's okay. You know, and then <laughs> oh, you'll be all right. You know, so there's no, there's no depth. It's just, hey, we're just sharing all our, all our stuff with one another. None of us are getting any better. I'll be back next week. I'll probably have done the same thing. So it's almost like the pendulum on the other side. I've talked about this on the show before, but like back in my early twenties, when I was trying to like, you know, get over porn and those types of things, like really get a handle on it, porn and masturbation. I went to this group that was suggested to me and it's this group that you show up and there's probably like 35, 40 guys in this room and they immediately break you up into groups, which I, I think is the worst way to do men's ministry. You don't know these people. You don't trust these people. You haven't accomplished anything with these people. Like, so you just showed up in a room and you have a penis. And so it's like, ah, oh, we're going to put you in a group and it's just going to all be good. So here I am in this group. And they're all these guys are going around Browning and they're saying, well, you know, I made it two days without, without masturbating. And, you know, last week I only made it one day. So, and everyone's like, oh my gosh, that's so awesome. And they're like, dude, you can do it. Maybe this week you can get three days. And I'm like, all right, cool. And it's not my turn to share yet. And then we get to this guy, he was a pharmacist. Okay. So he would meet up with random chicks in like Walgreens parking lots and they would bang in, in the car. He got STDs that he accidentally gave to his wife, but he oh was a pharmacist and he knew what the, the symptoms looked like. So yes, Dagan, if you, yeah, those just listening to this, Dagan just went <laughs> totally slack job here. Um, he would literally put the medicine in his wife's food oh my to, sur- to cure her of whatever venereal disease that he gave her, right? So we go from the guy that can't, you know, get over that, you know, two, two days without masturbating. Then we got this guy, different level of depravity. 
But the the answers from all the guys was the same. Hey, man, it's like you made it a week without banging some random hoe bag in the, in the parking lot and then sneaking some pharmaceutical drugs into your wife's food. That's so great and awesome. So I feel like the pendulum swings the other side where it's like, we're going to just be compassionate and we're not going to worry about victory at all. Because that's when you get men around you that are willing to like grab you by the scruff of your hoodie and say, brother, you're not going to treat your wife like that anymore. You, you know, you talked about that on right. a previous episode, Browning, right. like you made an off color joke, you embarrassed your wife and you had a sheepdog get in your face and say, brother, I know you love your wife and that wasn't loving to your wife. <laughs> exactly. But we don't have those guys, especially if you're successful, especially if you've, you know, you've got the respect of the people in the community. You keep those sheepdogs, you keep those people that will call you out on your, on your stuff. Like, you know, your Paul to, to Peter in Galatians too. you keep those people kind of at arm's distance. So it almost goes beyond just pride. It's just like, Hey, I'm just trying to protect my little bubble that I feel like I can completely control. No, it, it's like Christmas. Christmas comes every year. Like you've heard that saying before, right? Yeah. Like it doesn't stop the fact that I shop the week before Christmas. And <laughs> You're that me guy. saying yeah. that guarantees that my wife will never listen to this cast. Okay? She doesn't like, even know you're here right can't now. Can't even have, have yep. her know that. But it's like, it's like, hey, it, it's a guarantee. Christmas is going to be December 25th of this year. Well, it's like all throughout the Bible, it says you will be attacked. And the enemy, the enemy's mean. You know, up here earlier uh, in verse two, you know, when evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, like, that's not, hey, when evildoers come to call me names uh, in my front yard, it's they're going to come up and eat up my flesh. Like all throughout scripture, it's, hey, this world is full of attack and you are the target. Yeah. But as men, it's like, I, like I'm going to walk throughout today acting like I'm above that and like nothing's attacking me and I'm good. It's like, no, 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 no. Every single one of us has been bombarded with attacks from whatever angle the enemy can get us on at that day. And that's what I feel like we, like, that's the starting place of vulnerability is acknowledging because it's already written out for us. And, 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 and David does a great job of, of saying like, you know, Hey, God rescued me from the pit, but he didn't rescue me from the pit to make me comfortable. He rescued me from the pit to restore me so I can go back out to the battle, right? And like, that's what we need is we need to get together. We need to understand that we're broken and we need a break and we need to get that off of us because guess what? We're going to wake up tomorrow and the attack is still coming. I think, and when you're surrounded with other guys like you, it's like a phalanx, right? So you're protecting the guy to your left and the guy to your right is protecting you. And most of us don't have that in, in really a spiritual formation. And so you leave yourself open to where not only can you be physically attacked, but you can be spiritually attacked. There's a lot of negative things that can happen to you. And also you may get very, very weary about waiting because you think I I can't wait right now. I'm in a desperate motion. I'm in a desperate state, which takes us to verses 13 and 14 here. This is the end of Psalm 27. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. So he repeats, wait for the Lord. So verse 14, that, that word wait, it's not like wait, like wait patiently. Like if, if you start getting jittery, sit on your hands, just wait patiently. It's more like eager anticipation, right? So like, I remember being a, a little kid and it was my birthday and, you know, I know my friends are coming over. Like I would like a like a crazy person go to the front door to just, Oh, I wonder if my friends are here yet. Oh, not yet. Okay. Then I'd go back in the living room and 30 seconds later, I'd come back. I wonder if my friends are yet. That's eager anticipation. And when you're waiting eagerly, you're anticipating that they will show, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. I wasn't going to the door because I 
wasn't sure if they were going to make it. It was, I, I couldn't wait for them to make it. So it's that same thing here that we, we shouldn't just be giving up on, on God's answer to us because it didn't come in our timing. Right. I was just watching with Canon, um, the first matrix last night. And remember when Neo has that phone and Morpheus calls him at work and says, Hey, they're coming after you. You want to get out of here or not? And, and so he has them on the phone. He said, you've got to go when I say go, but don't do anything until I tell you. And so he, you know, navigates out. Of course, he's, it's a complete failure. He ends up getting captured anyways. But, but it's that, it's that same idea that when God says go, you go. But when God says wait, you wait. And I was reminded of Abraham and Sarah. Remember, Abraham had that promise. He said, I'm going to give you a child. That's going to be a blessing. You know, your, your family's going to be more numerous than the sands and, the, on, you know, the oceans and the stars in the sky and that sort of thing. And he got a little impatient. And his wife came to him and said, you know what? Yeah, I've, we've got Agar here. <laughs> you can just go ahead and do that now and we'll get her done. And, and of course, we know what happened as a result of that. But, um, you know, that, that, that's wonderful. That's why I really like the Bible. The Bible is not clean. It does not give you perfect human beings that did exactly what God said every single time. No, it's actually pretty darn embarrassing, uh, which is another argument for the authenticity of the Bible, of course, too. But yeah. Wait for the Lord. It does. It shows all of our, all of our bad stuff. But I, I, that eager anticipation, we serve a God that will show up and does show up. And it's not a, it's not a prayer of, we don't pray and say, oh gosh, please, I hope that he hears me or I hope that God loves me. Like we can rest assured that he does and he does deliver us. And I, that, that, what a great ending to a, a prayer and a song that we can anticipate this God who, the God of the universe that created us from dust still looks on us and says, I love you. I'm, I'm with you. That's so cool to me. When it's a lesson in patience for guys like you and me, Dagan, who are very, very quick to react and also quick to lean on our own uh, understanding and to lean on our own abilities. And the thing that's interesting about that as well, I wrote down, as you were saying that, Matt, I wrote down the word pragmatism. And the reason why I wrote that down is because what is the pragmatic approach with Hagar? They took the pragmatic approach. Like this is, if you were to hire a business consultant to come in or a relationship consultant, they would, they would survey the environment and say, well, <laughs> well, these things are happening, but looky over here. We got a young womb that we can probably stick something in. Like let's, let's go and make this happen, right? That's the pragmatic approach. That's the approach we're getting from a lot of our pastors now. Mm-hmm. Okay. These are pastors that are really worried about being, you know, leadership gurus and having conferences and being invited to speak. They're not being introduced as senior pastor of X church. They're being introduced as leadership guru or host of blah, 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 leadership podcast. And it's just kind of like those things aren't inherently bad, but that's not your job. Your job isn't to do that. Your job isn't to be Mr. Pragmatic because as you just pointed out, Eric, there are things in the Bible that don't make a whole lot of sense. You know, when people during Donald Trump's administration, it was like, well, you know, God can draw straight lines with a crooked stick. When you talk about Roe v. Wade and the three Supreme Court justices and those types of things, the Bible is just crooked sticks. Like, that's it. Like, there's not that person in the Bible that's like, man, that is exact. Aside from Jesus, like, yeah, aside from Jesus, all the normal, regular, non-deity light people, like those people were right there in the thick of it, making a bunch of stupid decisions because pragmatism, because they needed to get things done on a certain timeline. 
and they weren't waiting for the Lord in any type of anticipation, much less an eager anticipation. So guys, that's the first Psalm that we covered again. We're going to be covering Psalms for the next couple of months. And so, but as, as there is more to say, we're just going to have to leave it there for this one. But guys, come back next Sunday where we will dig into Psalm 34, which is my personal favorite Psalm. So guys, if you don't read Psalm 34, do not listen to my show next week. You are not invited. So make sure you guys read Psalm 34 so you can be prepared for next week. But before we let you go, we are going to do a quick resilience boost. At Undaunted Life, our mission is equipping men to push back darkness with content that forges spiritual, mental, and physical resilience. So guys, the only link I've got for you is a link to our donation page. Guys, we cannot pull off things like the forging table, like any of the things that we have coming that's in the hopper without you guys supporting us. So hop in there, go to our donation page. It's www.undaunted.life backslash donate, or the link there is in the show notes. Hop on board with us, support us with everything you got. Thank you guys for listening to this episode. Wherever you're listening to this, please subscribe, rate, and leave us a positive five-star review. If you want me to come speak live at your event or on your podcast, just shoot me an email to info at undaunted.life. That's I-N-F-O at undaunted.life. Follow us on Instagram and like us on Facebook and check out our website for everything else, including how to donate to keep more content like this coming your way. Just go to www.undaunted.life. And as always, we want to thank the band August Burns Red for allowing us to use their music for our content. The music on this podcast is our song Cutting the Tides, which is off their 10th anniversary re-recording of their album Leveler. The links are in the description. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Remember, keep pushing back darkness, keep forging spiritual, mental, and physical resilience, keep seeking the Lion of Judah. Judah.